Anytime Allison says Thoth, I just think that she has a lisp. Yeah. Thoth. 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 What's your favorite pasta Thoth? Classic red sauce. Maybe like a thoth. little... Red Thoth. Red Thoth. <laughs> uh, like red red meat Thoth. Like just spaghetti. I know Allison's a pesto fan, but... <laughs> Can you feel it? Can you feel it? Yeah! I can feel it! I'm talking about the tingle. Can you feel the tingle? I can feel the tingle! <laughs> I can feel lots of tingles. Uh, can the audience feel the tingle? Can you feel the tingle creeping its way into your home in the dead of night? Feel that tingle! When you hear my voice, you can. Lurking in the dark corners and cold basements of your home. Brady? <laughs> Waiting for you under your bed, watching you in the bathroom as you try to rinse shampoo out of your eyes and it slowly makes fun of your nude body. Yes, my friends, <laughs> it's the long and cold fingers of Spooktober Woo! coming to tickle all of us film nerds into a tizzy. Oh, shit. I forgot to do the sound effects. Do we have sound effects? No, we don't. We'll just have to make our own. <laughs> do we still, There's one. Do we still have this? That's the cougar one. Yeah, I know. Do we still have that on there? <laughs> <laughs> it's my creepy ominous wind remember when you did the ASMR intro and it was disturbing as fuck <laughs> it's that amazing magical time of year again where we are all going to fry our brains on gore and death to appease the spirit of Lon Chaney my name is Allison mm. I'm your host for today I'm joined by Blood Ritual with these two naked hellhounds Joshua Griffith and Brady Kimball hello I wish I was a hellhound um, have you been watching the new um, What We Do in Shadows series? Everyone asks me that question. Because the Hellhound is a golden retriever and I really enjoy Aww. it. <laughs> it's cute. It's really it's cute. adorable. It's okay. the best thing ever. Uh, we want to welcome you to another spooktacular spook fest of spook cinema. And we're opening up the series with Peter Jackson's famously gooey 1992 film Dead Alive or Brain Dead. Mm. Bow, bow. Um, but first, we want to thank you guys for tuning in and listening. Sorry we missed you last week. We just these personal lives are just going nuts lately. That was my fault this time. Was it? I just had so many things going on. Uh, I mean, I have utter disdain for movies these days. So do you? I, do you, Brady? Yeah. I was thinking about deleting the entire podcast. <laughs> We're starting over. Just nuking it all with a button. Godlike power. Do you guys want to start a video game podcast with me? <laughs> <laughs> we do. Do, they, do you think that there is a podcast about podcasts? Yes. yes. Really? Oh. Yeah, there yeah. is. That's- think we could have a podcast where it's called Brady Pones Josh. <laughs> where Brady is really good at video games and I'm really terrible at games. <laughs> Just the shit talking that yes. goes on between the three of us. Yes, but oh, but it has to be done over the internet because uh, needs, we need those shitty like game gaming headsets like oh, that okay. audio. Yeah, yeah. I, I need it. I need it to be the one where it's like the voices sound really distant, but you mm-hmm. just hear someone screaming obscenities on the other mm-hmm. end, just going like, "You like that? You headshot, headshot. You like that?" And there's always a smoke detector with the battery that's dead, so you just hear somebody's chirping. Oh God. I never and then like their mom that. that's like yelling about them not doing well, the yeah, homework. They had to steal the batteries for the controllers. <laughs> so 
Oh my God. I didn't even think about how awful you're right. That's a total. Mm, so yeah. as a 37 year old man, you know, I'm like, I just want to relax. And then I realized that I'm like getting a window into people's intimate personal lives with their, their parents. And then they get upset with me playing a video game. And I'm like, I'm 20 years older than you. And I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> I'm having like, I'm having like flashbacks of back when I would party at other universities yeah. that I didn't actually attend mm-hmm. and like spending the night there because we were too drunk or whatever. And there, you're right. There was always inevitably some place in the building where someone just wouldn't change the goddamn battery on the smoke alarm. So it's just like at uh, three in the morning, you just get the random like, mm-hmm. and I was just like, who's, who's sleeping through this? Mm-hmm. I want to just for our younger listeners, it takes two goddamn seconds to change that thing. Save yourself. I, I've, well, true story. I'm yeah. not, I'm not, look, what? look, I'm not joking. I, oh, sure. I can see it in your I, eyes, Brady. I had the <laughs> this chirping. Man speaks the truth. I had the chirping going on in my house. And instead of fixing it, I took every single detector out of my house and tell Josh. <laughs> Three or four weeks ago when I was like, hey, man, my wife and I have been having we've been having nerve pain for months. Oh, He's yeah. like, you might be having carbon monoxide p- poisoning. So I immediately stopped what I was doing and went and bought a bunch of detectors and reinstalled some detectors. You didn't so. have fucking detector. You didn't Why? have carbon. Your house is old as fuck, dude. You didn't have a carbon monoxide you, detector in, in the here? basement. I yeah. don't want chirping. Cellar dweller. <laughs> So I don't know if you'll ever come over to my house again now that you know we could have died of carbon monoxide. Now that you hung (laughs) fucking thick-ass curtains in a death trap in your basement surrounded by Christmas lights? And you didn't... Josh (laughs) is my safety inspector. We got it squared away. It's all figured out now. Oh, my God. Feels good to get that off my chest. We get way too drunk down there. (laughs) You can't do that to us. We're going to trip on a kettlebell. (laughs) The monoxide poisoning. right now i'm so anxious about that thanks for saving me from myself yeah thanks josh of course i love to think of strange ways that people get sick and die. <laughs> turns out i don't have any of that so yeah waste of money well in insurance <laughs> in the future well listeners you can you can rate and review us if you uh if you basically if you go to our website solid6.net are we at zone yet did we switch no. over no, not no, yet. not yet. The zone okay. is coming. <laughs> Are we in the coming. solid six zone? <laughs> yeah, um, not yet. So basically, you can find our episodes there. You rate and review us, please. That really goes a huge way into helping us, you know, make this show awesome and giving us feedback. It's learning experiences for us, and we enjoy it. We enjoy interacting with you. And uh, if you need to get a hold of us, as Brady said a couple episodes ago, it's all there. <laughs> <laughs> you fucking figure it out. <laughs> But we do love hearing from everyone on Letterboxd. This is true. You sons of bitches. Yeah. And then you can, I think we're most active on our Instagram, so yeah. that, which is solid6.podcast. You can follow us there. Um, otherwise, how the hell are you guys? I'm fucking good. Yeah? You uh, told me about the movie that you are probably going to bring up, and I was inspired by that choice, so I ended up picking The Beyond from 1981, Lucio Fulci's Splatter Gore Fest. Whoa. This is the second in his trilogy of the Gates of Hell. Oh, yeah. Um, his 1980 movie is uh, City of the Living Dead. And I think his 82 movie is House by the Cemetery. Fulci, oh, I just watched oh, that. Yeah, which we just watched. Yeah. yeah. Seriously? Yeah. House by the Cemetery. Yeah, we just yeah. watched that. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, last week. Okay, so you know a couple things that he does well. 
One is his gore is fucking good as shit. Mm-hmm. And he decided to get one of the best soundtrack composers in Fabio Fritzi, where mm-hmm. the soundtrack oh. is legit. So yeah. the Beyond is considered one of the better horror soundtracks, also inspired by the choice that Allison will be bringing up. Yeah. Um, yes. So this movie uh, follows a woman who's inherited a hotel in Louisiana, and she is putting together or remodeling it. And she's got a handyman. She's got a plumber named Joe the Plumber, which brought back nice memories of the Bush administration. Oh, yeah. I remember Joe the Plumber. Yeah. The every guy. Yeah. And I don't really understand the plot from there. All I know is that there's like all sorts of great gore, lots of people melting. I don't know if there was acid melting people. in. There's a walking uh, corpse maggot man. Yes, that's also in Zombie 2, his, his uh, most famous that got him kind of in the door, his foot in the door in the 70s. But uh, let's see, I'm, I'm looking at my list. So there's acid, there's chain whipping, there's spiders that eat uh, a man alive. Nope. There's nails through the heads. Mm-mm. And yeah. let's just say there is a scene that puts the ice cream truck scene in Assault on Precinct 13 to shame. Okay. Do you remember this scene? Strangely, no. No. Uh, you mentioned I can't place it. It's infamous where the girl gets a vanilla scoop of ice cream and she runs away to go back to her dad's car. And she's like, oh, this is the wrong kind of vanilla and goes back to the truck. And by that point, the street punks had come over to the ice cream truck man. And so she gets blown away. This little girl gets shot in the chest. <laughs> oh, my God. No. You don't remember? <laughs> I, John I, Carpenter, everybody. I, honest, I, I don't remember that. I don't yeah. That. yeah. Oh my god. There's a scene like that in this that's even crazier. I'll just wow. tell you. Can I tell you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. A girl's head explodes. There's like a headshot where her, half of her body explodes. You Damn. know, you know what I was really enjoying about House by the Cemetery was that um I've seen it. It's there's uh, there's like this weird presence that has to feed off of the flesh in order to kind of keep It's like it's like a it's kind of like Hellraiser, the first one in a way where they need to keep having fresh corpses so they can kind of keep themselves animated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but it, whoever was doing the hands of like, cause it's like perspective with the hand coming out and reaching mm-hmm. out for people. It was this little, little girl who was probably like 10 or 11 doing like horrifying things with her hands, like killing this young boy and like a mother, but she was supposed to be the hands of this like dead old, old man. So it's like, <laughs> I, so it's like, you know, the director's like going to get his money's worth out of the actor. Yeah, like yeah, nobody's yeah. sitting out. So they yeah. just like dressed her hands up in mummy, like, like mummy makeup and like had her go to work. I'm like, and these some, are like horrifying. And liver spots. <laughs> <Yeah>. like, <they're- laughs> like, these are like horrifying things to make her do. Oh, well, this movie, again, like I said, it was a bit hard to make sense. But the thing with Fulci, the two movies I've seen, I can't see, I can't say about uh, House by the Cemetery, but he has this weird tone or rhythm to his movies where it's like, the plots, again, don't make sense of the two that I watched. And then all of a sudden it's like, hey, here's a scene that's gore that you think is going to last like 30 seconds that ends up lasting like four minutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it's very hypnotic. And like, I, is this pornography? I can't tell what's happening here, but it... Gornography? Yes. <laughs> mm, I love me some flesh. It's weird. It's weird. But uh, I would say... If my memory serves, I think this soundtrack's better. I think City of the Living Dead was better because of the novelty of his direction. Plus, I saw it at the Hollywood Theater with people. Oh, that's cool. Um, and that movie had a maggot storm. 
Yeah. Where they dropped maggots from some location and a fan blew them all over people. Oh, so. wait a minute. What other movie have we seen where there's like just maggots everywhere? Recently? Uh, it wasn't like last year. It seems like there was a movie where there's just like a, a maggot storm. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not talking about January 6th. Did we not just watch something? <laughs> Did we not just watch something where someone got stabbed and just like maggots came that, pouring that out of it? That was the house by the cemetery that's where right, like the, right. the, the bad man in the basement got yeah. like poked with something and then like maggots fell out. Yeah, like it was just it was like it was like brown gelatinous yeah. blood, but obviously real bad. maggots and just a fuckload of maggots. Not like mm. you know like rice or something, but like mm. like lots of maggots. I want to know what was in the water in Italy, where it was like all these directors around the same time were like. Yeah, what what is it about? Like, Let's crank it up. Yeah, what, the Italian horror. I don't know if they, they had to like work harder or they had to like shock more or what it is about Italian horror. But man, they they got something there. I mean, we always talk about how history influences cinema. So, do you think that had anything to do with growing up in wartime and you know having to deal with Ooh, World like War questioning authority? Kinda, yeah, yeah. Because I mean, yeah, some of the stuff coming out of there is just horrifying. What do you think, Brady? Like, what's up with the Italian directors? I just assumed that like political figures were like taken out and assassinated in cars and made it look like, you know, car accidents. Uh, I don't know. That's what comes to mind right now. So there's horrified. There's just this yeah. like, you know, cultural zeitgeist of just, you can never rest easy. I see. I, just, is, I see Italy as just like Godfather. <laughs> strange. What is, what strange is place. the, what is the, the uh, is it Salo? Yeah. Uh, okay. So which is supposed to be dealing specifically with like the leaders of the time just being absolutely horrendous. But some of the things that happen in that movie are based off of true life events. Yeah. Mussolini. Yes. Mm -hmm. Right. So I'm wondering like, is that what's just bleeding through with the cinema coming out at that time? I mean, is that where? Probably. Ugh. I mean, we had enhanced inter interrogation techniques and then look at all the torture porn that we got. So thanks Eli. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'll close out this movie by just saying my, my review, which is, the gore and score make up for the janky script and so much more. Mm. That yeah. was so cute. Mm. Mm. That was so cute. I can write fourth grade po poetry all day. Um, second thing, real quick, I will bring up something that I rarely do, which is a contemporary Netflix series that came out this week. Look at me being tapped into everything going on was these it days. Tiger King? That was last year. Mm-hmm. Good guess. But there is a second season coming up. <laughs> That's we'll what talk I hear. About, yeah, we'll yeah. talk about that later. <clears throat> um, this is Midnight Mass, directed by Mike Flanagan, who directed a Stephen King uh, short story called Gerald's Game in 2017. That one was uh, interesting about a guy who, who does um, bondage with his wife and he dies in a handcuff. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> to the bedpost. <laughs> That's great. And then he also directed the same year, Dr. Sleep, which is the sequel to The Shining oh. that the two of you were like, eh. Yeah. yeah, I, yeah. Had some, I had some issues with Dr. Yeah. Sleep. Yeah. Well, this is fucking fantastic. <laughs> this is a, a script that he's been working on for eight years or so. And it follows a small town community on a fishing island that everyone knows each other. There's only like 100 plus people who live there. And Dagon. <laughs> anyway, wasn't there more people on that island? I don't know. I don't, I don't know. know. It's just fishing island. They're all fish made, of, made of fish people. Mm -hmm. That was a Spanish production. So I'm assuming. That... <laughs> <laughs> doesn't that movie have churches too? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Oh, yeah. Okay. So this. Fish uh, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this, this stars 
Hamish Linklater, who was in the big short, um, the newsroom, you'd recognize him, but he plays a priest who is the replacement for a previous father, comes into this town and basically gets the people riled up. Like people weren't going to church before. And like zealotry, kind of like? Kind of, yeah. So Stephen King wrote a book from 1975, Salem's Lot, which was also adapted and into- Stephen King hates zealots. Yes. It's great. So this is not an adaptation of Stephen King, but it's this guy clearly loves Stephen King if he's adapted a couple of his books or New England Fishing Town. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The other main character is played by Zach Guilford, who was Steve Saracen from Friday Night Lights. Thank you very much. Um, Clear eyes, full hearts can't lose. Oh my God. He, uh, (laughs) my head's exploding. (laughs) Look, I named my dog after the running back, the star running back in that show. Smash. Smash Williams. I thought you named him Smash because his face was like the way it is. Double entendres. <laughs> All day. All day, every day. Layered meanings. Um, so he comes oh, back God. from he comes back from the mainland. He like works at a, a tech startup and some bad shit happens. I won't spoil it even though it's in the first five minutes of the movie or the show. So he comes back like the prodigal son who's all wounded, like he's fucked up. And so it's this combination of a new father... This guy who's going through a redemption story with his alcohol abuse, again, Stephen mm-hmm. Stephen King, and his ability to see through cultish behavior because of his experience with AA kind of has him on the outside looking in through this whole supernatural horror story. So it's not going to be everyone's cup of tea. There's a lot of monologues about religion and death, which ah, for me, it's like there's a great five-minute scene about how people think about the way life is going to end like uh, a very faith-based person and then an atheist like like all life in the universe how their personal lives are going to end uh, okay i was like neutrino decay <laughs> but that's actually i'm glad you asked that though because this is a very insular uh, okay. this is a very insular movie where it's like long monologues on individuals like close-ups where like you might get bored okay not you but like a person might get bored the royal you yeah yeah <laughs> but I'm super into this. Uh, it takes its time. It's confident with what it's trying to do. And it's, again, it's a horror. This isn't like just drama. How many episodes? Seven. And they're all an hour long. Mm. Like the like seven total is how many there are. Correct. Okay. One and done. All right. So I think this begs the question, is it, oh, uh, does it earn its seven hours? People will be the judge. I think there might be one too many, but uh, this is, it's good. I just I just had a friend of mine text me yesterday that they had finished it and they thought it was quite beautiful. I think that's a good word for it. There's one scene that is horrifying more than a jump scare. Um, it will stick with me for some time. Oh. That is like, again, it's a horror October thing that happens. And okay. I'm like, that's a new way to look at that. Cool. Yeah. Hell yeah. Huh. How about you, Josh? Uh, yeah. So it's it's been a week. Or two. Um, gosh. <laughs> uh, probably like the the big highlight, because I don't want to just cruise by in our uh, podcasting and not acknowledge it. Uh, we went to the UFO Festival. Ah, uh, yeah. yeah. Doom. Fuck Doom. yeah, bro. It was so good. Uh, yeah, so the, the UFO Fest, which happens in McMinnville every year, is a lot of fun. Like it's a big deal uh, locally. There's a, there's like a Bigfoot fest and there's some other cryptid stuff that happens like in the region. But the UFO fest in McMinnville is definitely like the thing. Mm-hmm. And they make it 
impossible to be sober that weekend. Yeah, like Menville is already really hard to be sober in anyway. Yeah, there's just <laughs> like wine and tapas and like bars everywhere yeah. and beer tents and just it's just an ocean of yes. booze. Yes. And it's a lot of fun. And it's it's a it's a really great event. McMinman's, which is like the chain of like restaurant breweries all over the region, puts it together because apparently there was some famous um like a boomerang shaped UFO sighting in nineteen forty seven, which predates Roswell. We had a great time. We've been to a bunch of these paranormal things before and heard a lot of people speak about whatever their particular topic was, whether it's the goblin universe or psychic ghost stories. Why are you laughing? Yeah, what are you laughing about? Because I'm thinking about the vaporwave dragon cover. <laughs> oh, I, I want, I want that image. You guys, like, take a minute, take a minute, pause the podcast, go look up the cover for Goblin Universe because it's basically Nessie <laughs> traveling through like a space grid from the 1960s. Yeah, laser, laser grid. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, but I want that in our bathroom. It could like be a like a huge picture Like a Japanese boombox commercial. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so good. But anyway, uh, we went to a couple of speakers. One speaker was very much similar to like a Skinwalker Ranch scenario where she was in this ranch, I think called Clearview in Colorado, mm -hmm. which all kinds of spooky, weird stuff is happening. But then the next day, uh, there was a presentation by uh, Dr. Michael P. Masters about UFOs are basically people from the future. And this was one of the most... He's, he's a doctor in, uh, what is it, biological anthropology. So he has credentials and he put together one of the most rational, reasonable, procedural, like at times like boring, but also enthralling uh, cases for why UFOs are people from the future. And uh, boy, I was just, I was hooked. I bought the guy's book. Mm -hmm. I haven't read it yet. Mm -hmm. Um I asked him a question on stage because they do like a little Q and A afterwards because he had so many things all like worked out. So for example, you know, when the first primates like came out of the trees and we're walking around, looking around, the reason why we got smarter is because our field of perception changed. And instead of having to look out on the, like look up on the horizon, like a normal monkey would, we were looking down at the ground to like see what was in front of our feet. And that, shifted our faces down and basically created an excess room in our cranial cavity for a bigger brain to grow. So he walks through all of these different processes. Like every time there's a major evolutionary jump, the next generation looks like the children of the previous generation. So when UFO sightings, like what are all these kids doing? Like what are these kids doing underneath the UFO? It's because like that's what the next generation of evolution could be particularly with like gene editing coming out. Anyway, point is this guy, unlike a lot of the folks that are like 80, 80% bullshit, but like 20% kind of amazing. Like this was like a really smart, like really detailed <laughs> it case. Was, it was pretty creepily convincing. Yeah. I mean, it, and the thing about the thing about like UFO presenters is they, it, there's always, there's only two categories and there's like the kind of the woo um, speculative evidence and then there are people that are like hard facts hard mm -hmm. evidence yeah. and they will not allow a lick of imagination into <laughs> their presentation because right. they don't want to risk they don't want to risk coming off like they haven't completely poured themselves right. into the research so it's either kind of woo which was the first first speaker 
or extremely bone dry facts. And that was that was this guy. I mean, yeah, he had he had his stuff down, but yeah. I was I was like I was like oh my god. Mm. You know, if you can't tell from like the whole what is it called uh, to the stars academy and some of these other outfits. There is like a there's a, a thirst for these people who are studying UFOs to be taken more seriously than they are. Anyway, long story short, this guy was really interesting. Uh, Michael P. Masters, his book is called Identified Flying Objects because he's got the answers. Oh shit! Uh, there's something convincing about somebody who doesn't ever say I don't know and says it with something backed up, right? Because like you have people who are like really great speakers that you can kind of see through pretty quickly where right. like when they don't ever say, I don't know. Yeah. But then you're like, you're just winging this with charisma. Yeah. To not say that and back it up with explicit data or details. It's like he, this is how movements are made. He ended his PowerPoint presentation with the slide that was <laughs> nothing but citations. <laughs> Cite, citing, cite this, cite that. It was like, oh, like, oh my god, this guy is okay. Next. So this guy had a PowerPoint presentation. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Say no more. Yeah. That thank God lacked sound effects, for un- <laughs> unlike the first person. Oh yeah. The first presenter. It was oh, like yeah. they had loaded up all of these weird, like, <laughs> like while while they're trying to talk <laughs> over it, and I was like, why would you do that? Why would you do that? Because they want to run podcast with a soundboard, <laughs> but they just haven't figured it out yet. Uh, Movie-wise, I have been attempting to complete the Wheatley-verse. You know, Mm -hmm. uh, of the movies that we watched across last year, uh, A Field in England obviously made a really big impression. We really love that movie. And kind of activated my interest in the other movies of Ben Wheatley. We watched... uh, I've seen High Rise in the past. We watched Kill List. And so uh, the other day, we watched uh, In the Earth, which is his 2021 release, which to me felt like a... um, like a like a neo hammer film like it was it had like kind of like a really simple but kind of like low budget premise um you know what can you do in the woods with strobe lights and a few synthesizers actually a lot uh reese shearsmith is in it and he gives so another fantastic performance oh my god it's insane how talented that guy is mm. like his his role is just so convincing, like the it, the entire time, it, and and the choices he makes for his character are they they sent a shiver up my spine for like his line delivery and his demeanor. Uh, it was oh, like yeah, he's spooky. So it's really good, good. so yeah. good. I love watching him work. Mm-hmm. I wonder if he is well respected in England because they have such great actors. It's just like, is he like a C uh, yeah. their version of yeah, a C right. great actor? Yeah, he's <laughs> he's just, like blowing our he's tits like, off. He's like warming the bench. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, that's that's how it is. Like Eng- England as a nation just produces so many great actors. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I loved him in this. So when you said Hammer films, I immediately yeah. thought like a cream skinned buxom babe that just okay not that kind no, of hammer film no. but okay but m- more like if so bi- all right really i want you to like really turn the sexuality way down <laughs> yeah uh Damn like yeah. think think more like uh like no blade of grass if that registers i don't even know if that's a hammer film that's just like an apocalyptic british movie but uh <laughs> <laughs> but like the the movie starts you know how there's like there's like music and there's credits and it's all dark. And then all of a sudden it like fades into something. That's not how this movie starts. It's like, boom, title. Title like title is the first thing you see with like a still image behind it. And then it starts. So I think there is kind of like a, a knowledge of like, like British horror films. 
Oh, I see. I so see what you're saying. It, it kind of felt like an informed by the past kind of movie. And it was, it was sort of low budge in terms of its concept. But mm-hmm. they, of course, with all these talented people, it's like you don't even know that. And it's like the performances are so good and the editing and the music and the sound design and everything. Mm-hmm. But the whole plot of the movie is around uh, a, um, what's it called? A, a fungus-based superorganism living in the woods that is basically masterminding all life on Earth. <laughs> And the two, there's two people. Reese Shearsmith represents the uh, spiritual occult angle. Yep. And then there is his wife. Spoiler alert. Who is a scientist. But uh, my only complaint about it, it is really, it's really good. It's simple. Um, I would, it's for me, it's like a strong seven is that we get tempted that we're going to see basically a forest God and we never actually see the forest God. Also, spoiler alert, sorry mm. about that. But it's still a really good movie. And then after that, I followed that up. Wait, wait, before you go on to the yes, next please. movie. Um, now, you don't really see God or whatever entity it is in um, a field in England, right? So like they do, a, like you were saying, they do a lot with a very little similarly. Yeah. Is there an equivalence like creativity with the cinematography that kind of at least insinuates enough about the forest god. So basically, the idea. Sorry, we. I, I would. Well, I would say, I would say yes. There is a moment, and I think Ben Wheatley does this really, really well when when he is depicting um, psychedelic experiences about the lapse in being able to uh, articulate incoming information and also the judgment of time. Mm-hmm. And that's such a big thing when you do psychedelics, especially if you've had a lot where um, it feels like you are suddenly a sponge for all of this information that you're like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. That makes sense. But there is no way on the planet that as as sober people coming out of that, we would be able to describe and unlock what was just downloaded into our system. So he does this really outstanding job i think using the cinematography and the panic that that can sometimes induce to show how someone might be downloaded with ancient information without there being yeah. a really really direct form of communication and so in that sense yeah i would say that i'd say that a field in england is far more psychedelic as far as the camera changing and flipping and sure stuff the like strobing that. Or yeah yeah just kind of experimenting yeah because i remember with a field in england we talked about this that they were like inventing their own lenses and shit. So I just assume he's like a lens guy. So like just doing all sorts of weird stuff with aspect ratios or depth of field or yeah. other things that are kind of keep you engaged regardless of the low budge. I did notice, remember a field in England was yeah, super low budge. Very minimal. Mm-hmm. Um, I did notice that Ben Wheatley does have the credit for editing and it is very stylistically edited towards the end where in order to either escape or communicate with like the forest god, they have to enter this mycelial like fungus cloud. And that's when all like the trippy stuff starts happening. But um, yeah, so there's there's a lot of that choppy, fast, like inner interlaced editing that we saw in Field in England, also in, in the Earth. I, I just know. I just think it's I think it's a different I think it's a different representation. I like a field in England, obviously there's there's psychedelics involved, but there's also this like alchemical transition that's happening with the main character and this is almost like if you think of like a rival and like this weird mm-hmm. communication style that's happening like mm. it's it's how would you how would you suddenly lift 
the lid off of someone's head in order to kind of take the blinders that humans have off naturally to like download this information. And in that sense, it's much more, it's, it's softer, but it makes like, it's telling the story very strongly with the editing. So, but I, I just feel like I'm specifically remembering like the flipping of frames in the field of England with the two Mm -hmm. men blending into one. And then this one is much more, um, sacred geometry and got it stuff like that that's kind of dmt yes yeah i was saying it was very very much like being on dmt i'm very excited to watch this yeah it's check great. it out it's great yeah uh you know uh, to use uh panos cosmatos phrase about like he makes movies that belonged on the the movie shelf in the 80s that mm-hmm. just don't exist there i feel like in the earth is kind of in the similar category where it kind of feels like a little bit out of time but also it's very right on time because it's about people trying to survive a pandemic anyway uh, I enjoyed it, and I bet you will too. How are you doing, Allison? I fine. It's I'm good. You know, it's been a busy couple of weeks, uh, which is why I had to ask us to press the pause button for last week. So I apologize to our listeners about that. I just had so much going on. <laughs> um, it's just there was like this moment where it was like I was kind of like calculating everything down, and we had just gotten back from the UFO festival, and I was like, oh, I have to do this, this, and this, and also there's no. F- fucking way that I can also make time to research and host the podcast this week. I was, I, I was just it. like, I was like, I cannot, I, I cannot. You, but you just, I, I have to laugh because of the way you just said that it sounds like a person whose door is knocked on where religious people try to get you to come back to church. And you're like, mm, sorry, I've got so much going yeah, on. Yeah, like, listen. <laughs> you don't need to explain to me. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I know. I feel like uh, I feel like we watched so many movies. I I had even forgotten that you, we had watched. You watched a bunch of movies. I did, but I I had even I had forgotten that we had watched. Um, you know, House by the Cemetery and In the Earth and all those things. I totally forgot. So yeah. So I had been I'd been watching a lot of Joe Bob Briggs recently. I just find him to be charming as hell. And he had Eli Roth on for a few episodes, and they were having these great interviews. And. I wasn't necessarily putting all of the data points available to me together in order to inform my decision that I had made. But Eli Roth was going on and on and on about Cannibal Holocaust, Mm -hmm. which I know historically is supposed to be one of the most gratuitous, hardcore, disturbing movies that you could possibly watch. Right. And he's going on about it like it is no big deal. And that, you know, the director, <laughs> Rogerio... I can't even listen quietly. <laughs> yeah, like, Rogerio uh, Diorado, who is the director of this, he, he's become great friends with him. He has the utmost respect for him. And I'm thinking to myself, fuck, well, I mean, we just watched Begotten and everyone said that was going to be just a total nightmare. And I loved it. And I thought it was fi- it's not nearly as bad as I thought it was going to be. I can do Cannibal Holocaust. So I had this insane work day and I came home. Josh was working on the car and and I'm thinking to myself, you know what? I'm going to do this. I need to be a big girl. I need to, if we're going to talk about these movies, I need to have this in my arsenal. Mm-hmm. So I put it on and I'm, I'm fully expecting there to be like rape scenes and gore and like whatever, you know, torture and all this crazy stuff. And... I wasn't aware in any amount of the real animal death that happens multiple times (laughs) in the movie. And I just like everything else is cheesecake 
in comparison to those scenes. Mm-hmm. And I, I watched it, I got through it. And initially I was like, this is a pretty good movie. Like this was, I'm into this. Like I, I see the message, but I do really want to find interviews with the cast because I can't fathom how you recover emotionally from doing this film. Right. And I can't find, I couldn't find anything. And then the more I sat with it, the more I sat with it, the more I sat with it, I was like, what the fuck is wrong with Rogerio? <laughs> I, I couldn't, I understood that the whole plot of this is basically showing like, who are the monsters who have created chaos in order to sell time on TV yeah, to get viewers to tune in. And that's exactly what they're doing in this movie. So they're playing a trick on the viewer as well to show that they're exactly partaking in what they're fighting against. Yep. Uh, but, it's condemning the audience. Yes, it is. Mm-hmm. And it's brutalizing the audience. But I, and I, I, it took me a while to have that all seep in. And I do, I do have respect for the movie, but I can't get over the fact that they did that to animals. Mm-hmm. And I know that seems like, like there's horrifying rape scenes in this movie. It's peanuts compared to like watching some of these scenes that were like, they weren't done in a way that was uh, uh, fast or no. Yeah, yeah, it was. It was meant to have the animal suffer, and I and so and so in that I was like, I started to resent the actors more than the director, because I it's like, how on earth did you allow yourself to do that, mm-hmm. and and then mock what was going? I, I don't know. So there's a part of me that really hates it, like really, really vehemently hates it. But then there's a part of me that's like. Yeah, like you just did that to yourself, Allison. Like this is exactly what he means when he created the movie is that like you are part of the problem of what's happening, you mm-hmm. know, with the whole... But it, I was just like, I was like, man. So I don't know. I, I I went from like giving it like a, I think like a three and a half, four, and then I dropped it to, to a two. And now it's, I don't know. I have... Let I, me just say this. You watch so much stuff that I don't even want to touch with like a 10 foot clown pole. <laughs> And for you to actually have like a response, like an emotional response, tells me everything I need to know. About I've, I've never seen Cannibal Holocaust, and I honestly don't have any desire to. I'm looking forward to seeing Top Gun 2 when it comes out, but <laughs> I can take a pass on uh, Cannibal Holocaust. Uh, but yeah, the, the, your, your response emotionally, it tells me all that I need to know, just because I know how you easily devour all kinds of brutal horror movies, and it doesn't even phase you. Yeah, I... I and it made me think about this like rape is usually a huge trigger for me like I can't I I really really can't stand it in film but then I realize more than anything is I cannot even stand the insinuation of animal abuse. I'm the same way. And I hate it. And yeah, and so so just I just found it so upsetting. I don't know. Don't watch Midnight Mass. Midnight Mass, yeah. Um What is up with Italian directors? <laughs> I love Oh, there's I animal abuse in Midnight Mass? Insinuated. Uh. I loved Cannibal Holocaust. I read your review. I yeah. found it transcends its genre uh, trappings and the kinds of people that would watch it. Um, the name also it kind of allows the viewer to kind of d- dismiss it a bit. But the fact that there are those layers of like uh, New York producers, a fake documentary crew, uh, the anthropologist that's following them, the cultural appropriation of the natives, the horror of the natives. Um, it looks real that they're doing that shit to the people because of the actual killing of the animals. And then also the music again is 
The music was good. Yeah, I don't know how to say his name. It's Riz Ortolani, um, who's done a ton of amazing soundtracks. One of his songs was used to perfection in Drive. Layer upon layer of this movie is just well worth diving into. And the thing that you probably didn't realize... I can't remember with Eli Roth if you brought it up, but his he made a remake of that. Uh, yes. Green Inferno, yes. right? And it was he, the name of the documentary, yeah. the fake documentary in Cannibal Holocaust. So he's he's a little biased. So <laughs> no, exactly, biased. exactly. So I so he was talking about the Green Inferno, yeah. and I and then it dawned on me after I watched it, Allison, you know better. I mean, he he created Hostel and all these other movies that are all about offensive bodily harm and bodily gore. What did you think mm-hmm. was going to happen? Yeah. <laughs> or what did you think he was going to be like cheerleading this film on about? So, um, and then I, I had this moment where I was like disappointed with myself because I was like, all the puzzle pieces were there, DeGrazio. You just didn't put them together mm-hmm. to figure out what path you're about to be walking down. Because I'm like, what, what could possibly make a movie so distressing that, you know, like the director gets arrested because they think that they're actually <laughs> killing people? in the film that it's actually a snuff film. I'm still like not crazy convinced that it's not a snuff film. Yeah. I know that they've got that girl on the bicycle seat with the pole coming out of her mouth, but I was like, I don't know that that really looks like it's going through. I know. (laughs) I really looks like it's going through her. I know. So, and this movie, this movie transcends again, that the, the type of person that would watch this typically and it's it's kind of like the begotten conversation we had where it's like yeah sound, I rem, i'm getting like notes of begotten here yeah where it's like oh if you're into this you're into the dark shit but then i watched it partially because of that but i was like oh like i'd want to show this to like any of my friends that are into like quote-unquote serious movies too right. so yeah it's it, um there are it, it has merit i was actually talking to a girlfriend of mine about this because she she refuses to watch it. She thinks it should be burned. And I don't blame her. I really don't. She hasn't seen it. And I and I was saying, I was like, I was like, I get it. I totally get it. I said, but it's not without its merits. Mm-hmm. It's not a bad movie, unfortunately. <laughs> so it just has such a salacious title. Well, it deserves it. Yeah. Yeah. It deserves it. But I don't know. So now I just, I guess I just have to watch Sallow and then I'm good. <laughs> oh boy. So yeah, I, it was a lot, you know, <laughs> there's a lot of mixed feelings about cannibal Holocaust. I don't regret. Well, I'm not sure. I'm not. I don't regret that you watched it. I, yeah. I, I needed just, somebody to, to talk to about this. Yeah. And it's like, I have this whole like web work of the processes of watching this. So there was a moment where I was like, okay, like I see, like he's talking about like, who are the real cannibals and that's okay. But why is it so gratuitous? I hate how evil this is. It's awful. Oh wait, it's me. He's (laughs) playing the joke on me because I'm the bad one. Cause I'm the one paying to watch it. I get it. Mm -hmm. He's a genius. And like, I was like, but I still hate it. I don't know. So, these Catholics, um, I tell you. Oh my gosh! Just the guilt, the Mi- built-in manipulation, and the my goodness. Watch Midnight Mass. <laughs> <laughs> Don't watch Midnight Mass. Watch Midnight Mass.
the reason I watched Dead Alive is because I had read somewhere that it was the most gory movie that you could find. And of course, that's obviously not the case now. We're older and wiser and is jaded it? and more jaded. Uh, it's, 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 it's gory. It's really gory. It's super gory, but it's, you know, in comparison to some of those things that we've seen, mm-hmm. subjected ourselves to. I just watched a muskrat get killed. Okay. <laughs> it is peaches in comparison to that. So that was, uh, that was kind of my, my intro and my desire to watch Dead Alive. On this picturesque block, in this manicured home, something evil, something terrifying, something horrifying is haunting life. His mother. I thought I told you to spray this house. The place is infested with bourbon. Although she was a little strict. Look at this dust. It's an inch thick. He never wished her any harm. You look after me like Until... <laughs> Your mother's dead, Lionel. Now, whatever mom's got... Who's your mother? ...has caught on. With the neighbors. You can pray. Oh, I kick ass for the Lord. I kick ass for the Lord. All right, an expedition to Skull Island to find a rare and dangerous rat monkey for the Wellington Zoo is the opener of this bloodbath of a film. A shitbag explorer and his nervous assistant narrowly escape a native tribe who are threatening and trying to warn them of the evils of the rat monkey. Our explorer is inevitably bitten by the monkey while racing towards the getaway vehicle, and the driver, aware of the monkey's poison and curse, decapitates the explorer to stop the spread of its cursed poison. Fast forward, we are now in a 1950s idyllic Wellington, New Zealand. We meet the young and lovely Paquita, played by Diana Peñalver. I believe, something like Benyalber, mm-hmm. a Spanish Romani immigrant whose family runs the local grocery store. Paquita's grandmother reads her future in the tarot and tells her that she will soon meet the man that she will become romantically entangled with for the rest of her life. He will be known through the symbol of the star, but death will surround him. Not two seconds later, a clumsy, awkward Lionel, played by Timothy Balm, walks into the store and immediately begins knocking things over and stumbling over his words. One of the many messes he creates results in the symbol of a star and Paquita's mood changes from being completely frustrated with this string being loser to, to hotly in pursuit of Lionel's lean beef package. Whoa. <laughs> Meanwhile, Lionel's overbearing mother, Vera, played by Elizabeth Moody, the kind of woman that would wear white to her son's wedding, is at home losing her shit with the up-and-coming luncheon with the head of the WLWL. When she finds that her dear son is falling for the young immigrant girl, Vera follows her son and Paquita to the local zoo to ensure that any sexual advances toward Paquita can be thwarted and all of Lionel's attention stays directly with his mother. While sneaking about, Vera gets too close to the rat monkey cage and is savagely bitten, (laughs) letting out a scream that sends the fear of God through Lionel. Lionel then rushes to take his mother home, leaving Paquita behind, much to Vera's pleasure. And while home, Vera's health quickly deteriorates, rapidly becoming a swollen, pus-filled sack of motherly rage. (laughs) 
And when the nurse is called to help take her to the hospital, all hell ends up breaking loose. And that will get us started with Brain Dead, also known as Dead Alive. Mm. So it wasn't just any old tarot deck. You spotted it like immediately once it came it's, on. It's Aleister Crowley's Thoth deck. And what is the significance of a Thoth deck? So the significance is he he basically, he hired an artist to redo the tarot. And Thoth was... Um, it's an Egyptian god, right? Yes. And that the, uh, Aleister Crowley was deeply, deeply into um, the Hermetics, the Golden Dawn, and also... Um, uh, Egyptology. Okay. And so he actually, I think did a huge back when you could just go to the fucking pyramids. Um, right. he did a huge, <laughs> huge magical right with his wife at the time. Um, but you can't go anymore. No, no, Whoa, no, no. no. Yeah, this the, was like, the, this was like back in the yeah, explorer age. Yeah, when back they in just, the twenties. Like it was like, yeah. if you can get there, yeah, you could, be, you could go inside. It's basically just oh, exposed oh, ruins. Oh, yeah, yeah. Sorry. I did, I totally misinterpreted what you're saying. When no, you say yeah. go there, you mean like actually he was in like, that shit. He was like inside <laughs> the pyramid it. and they were doing this magical rite with his wife. Um, Whereas now there's just a giant velvet rope that goes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And now, and like, and he said that he basically channeled one of the Egyptian gods and, oh. um, so, but anyway, so later on in life, he had this, tarot deck created called specifically the Thoth deck and it has the it has the I forget it's I forget the name but there's a very specific cross symbol on the back of it which is how I recognized it because I had the deck oh really years ago so that cross that has like kind of the moon with the eye look or the diamond looking thing it, it well the back of the the back of the cards is a cross with a rose in the middle of it and it's got a mm. it's got a specific name it's also got very specific colors and it's it had like, I forget, it's like the Rose Cross or the Rosian Cross or something mm-hmm. like that, but I, f- I forget the name of it. And then on the inside, I think except for a few of the cards, they're all from the original deck and then they created cards to go in with the, the storyline. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like they pulled out, they pulled out the tarot cards and I was like, oh, that's the Thoth deck. Alistair Crowley strikes again. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so yeah, that was just like a little thing. I was like, oh, I never noticed that before until mm-hmm. now. So. I definitely thought of you with the tarot cards. The yeah. second go around. Yeah. I, um, after doing ayahuasca, I like flipped out. Because <laughs> this is totally an aside. It has nothing to do with the movie. But that I, when I started getting into all the witchy stuff, mm-hmm. I, um, you're not supposed to buy tools for yourself. The tools are supposed to come to you naturally. And I lived Wait, what this- does that mean? Like you're just gonna like find like some crystals on the street. Well, you're. you're oh, like, dude, I got some street crystals. It, it means it got street crystals. That's what the kids call it's these called, days. It's called bath salts. Um, <laughs> you're supposed to either make your tools or inherit your tools somehow. So, oh, okay. all right, so all right. um, you're not supposed to like they they shouldn't necessarily be new or if they are new you should go through this whole rite of like breaking them in so to speak. So. I mean, that's how you talk to me when you're talking about buying weapons. Yeah. It's like, Brady, don't buy weapons. Just make them. The yeah, you get a bushcraft. You know, <laughs> like, what did, what did Red do in Mandy? Like, he forged the beast. Yeah. He took several days or hours or a couple of minutes, we don't know, to mold and forge a bladed weapon. It was anyway, outstanding. Whatever. I want to say it was hours. He was very talented. He was, he was on a roll. I think it was just the, the span of that one song. Yeah. <laughs> just moving quickly. <laughs> so, um, 
I lived in this apartment building in Oakland and I came home when, and people who didn't want their stuff anymore, we had like a, we had like a coffee table in the uh, main entryway. So if you didn't want something, you could put it there. Mm -hmm. People in the building would pick through and take what they wanted. Street crystals. And so, well, well, no, the soft deck was on the table. So I came in and I had just started doing like witchcraft things and I walk up and there's this tarot deck right there. And I was like, well, I guess I have a tarot deck now. And I didn't realize it was, Alistair Crowley's deck for a long time. And then when I started doing more research and found out it was connected to Alistair Crowley, and this is around the time that I also did ayahuasca, that I'd flipped out. I like, I had that flip out when I did ayahuasca and I took all of my books and my magical implements Mm -hmm. and I brought them to the local, um, brought them to the local occult bookstore and was like, these are yours now. I don't want anything to do with them. Thanks so much. Which completely freaked out the bookstore owner. Mm. As it would. So I bring up the whole bit about the Thoth deck because yeah. it seems like there's a lot of uh, references that like pop in and out of this movie. I agree. There, so with, I'm just going to call it brain dead, if that's okay with you guys. The reason it's not that, I mean, that's what it was called in New Zealand. And the reason that they had to change the name was because we had the um, film brain dead here already that had... Uh. Um, Bill Pullman in it, right? Bill Pullman and what's his name from Bill Paxton. Both. Oh, were they both in there? Do we have both Bills? Yeah. That's right. Bill Paxton was in there. Voltron, but Bills. Yeah. The Biltron. (laughs) Biltron. (laughs) Um, And then we had. Wait, was Brad Dourif in that thing? Uh, No. No, but um, what's his name from Harold and Maude? Um, Bud Court. Bud Court Court is in that movie. All right. Wow. So he plays the mad scientist. I am going to call it Brain Dead for the sake that that's what it initially was called. Lock it in. We're locking it in. But um, there are a lot of references in here. We were watching this last night, cracking up. It is a hilarious movie. But there's, I mean, we're getting references from like The Thing. Mm -hmm. We're getting stuff from Alfred Hitchcock. Um, uh, Help me out here. What else were we talking about? We were. I mean, I, you know, just like the specific timing of it. I have to think that um, like uh, Joe Dante's episode from Twilight Zone, the movie, had an impact on yeah. the way that like the character design kind of went through with like the little like baby and like the, the, oh, the, absolutely. the, the mom at the very end. Yeah, was, like Robotine. Like, yeah, the Robotine. Yeah, yeah, stuff. Yeah. I did not look at this movie through those lenses other than the obvious one of Evil Dead I mean, and Sam like, Raimi. I think that, yeah. Like, there's, a, uh, there's a ton of Raimi yeah, so that, in here. That's, that's the other thing is I think Peter Jackson at this point in his career is definitely pulling from a lot of maybe his like cinematic heroes. Maybe that's too much. But yeah. he seems to be drawing a lot of like inspiration from like uh, Sam Raimi, Joe Dante, not perhaps even Stuart Gordon. Um, There's no too much with Brain Dead. Yeah. Uh, the other one that came to mind now that you jostled some things loose was the Uncle's final form with the giant spine. Reminded me of From Beyond a little bit. Oh yeah. With oh Stuart yeah. Gordon yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 Absolutely. But it also reminded me of the monster from the Thing. Oh yeah. So equally it, valid. Yeah, and, and, and this also ninety two, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah, well so, after the fact. So yeah. yeah, cool. And there was also that whole, uh, you know, when his mother, so Lionel's mother's Vera's final form is like this horrifying, like <laughs> fertility goddess meets like <laughs> the head of like a Wendigo kind of a thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. Um, and her stomach opens up and eats Lionel, and it reminded me of that scene in the thing when he's going to like compress the guy's chest, and the mm-hmm. chest opens up and eats his hands. Yep. Uh, so I just, there's yeah. a, there's a lot of, it seems like there's a lot of tipping to the hat and, and references to other major, uh, splatter 
gore monster films that had come out prior. And yet it's doing its own damn thing. Oh yes, my God. It really is. It's walking away. How yeah, many? Like, it's, this, this, how much, how much? So this movie is, I think, best described as gooey. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's pretty gooey. It's the wettest film. A lot of fluids. Yeah. It's yeah. up there. It's, it's real wet. And well, okay, let's, <laughs> let's, let's dive specifically into this topic. Having just watched this last night, I realized I'm a little bit biased, but I can't think of a gorier movie than this. Like in terms of just like fluids and viscera and just guts. I don't think so. I think that, I think that my, I think think Peter Jackson has crafted a Mount Everest of gore. Well, I, I, you know, I would say to you that I've always thought of it as like, this movie is gory, but is it as gory as brain dead? Mm. You know what? Hang on a second. Put a pin in that. I'm thinking now that there's plenty of Japanese movies I haven't seen I, that will probably <laughs> challenge the throne. Is there lots of liquid? Is there a lot of imagination with the violence? Mm-hmm. Um, is there a lot of squirting, gushing, spilling, oozing, right? And I think that this combines all of those into a singular whole that mm-hmm. is unparalleled, right? Yeah. And there could be a movie that's more gory than this movie, but because the editing is so kinetic and like it is two steps ahead of you as the viewer, it will make it even that much more gory. Yeah. Yeah. So it's gore on steroids. So I don't know. I don't, I can't think of anything. Just to like give a reference, they used nearly 80 gallons of fake blood Mm. in this movie. It's quite a few. That's a lot. It's a lot. That's insane. It, I mean, is that like for the entire film or is that like... I think that might have just been in that last part where yeah, he's like exploding blood everywhere. Yeah. There's a scene like, yeah, where he's like, he he walks through the party with the, the lawnmower and then he has to like walk back through the party. He's like, that's one pass. And now he's got to do two passes. And there's a point where he, he's he's just like having like a, like a flash dance underneath yes, like yes. underneath like a geyser of guts yes moment where it's just it's just everywhere yeah that i love in the end of the movie when he and paquita reunite that they're literally just slipping across the floor mm-hmm. there's actually one of my favorite little gags in this is that there's one point where um, one of the zombies the infected has the top of his head sheared off oh my off, god i love that character and he's and he's sheared off so the he, you can see the top part of his it's just the top part of his skull and he's sliding around like a <laughs> hockey puck on all the goo. And that, that is just a thing that connects all the scenes together in this crazy, like you were saying, like kinetic shift with all the, all the editing where it's just this dude's head getting played soccer amongst mm-hmm. all the chaos going back and forth before and he, before he ends up in a blender. And he still has motion of his eyes. So it kind of like informs like the character direction, <laughs> almost like, like a uh, cells from like a comic book where he's like, he's leading into and out of like the scenes so I, what I like about, and to your point about the editing, is that uh, Peter Jackson gives even like many of like the minor victims that he gives all of the little characters like their own little moments and which adds to the effect because it seems like you're getting not just like this crowd of people being pulverized in the, in the juice, but like all of these individual characters are, are getting their own specific death sequences. Well said that are like incredibly well imagined. Like the, mm-hmm. the hits just keep coming with this. Mm-hmm. And that's like through the entire movie, not, not just the party scene onward. Was this number four for him? Which, what, where does this rank in his list of movies, Brady? Chronologically? Yeah. Actually, I think it's his third. Okay. Because he did Bad Taste and then Meet the Feebles and the, then this. Okay. Yeah. So 
I want to emphasize, like, we all know Peter Jackson obviously moves on to have this extraordinary film career doing Lord of the Rings. He fell into the Lord of the Rings portal and has never never he, gotten out. He, he failed so. upwards. No, I'm just kidding. But <laughs> so for, for those that don't know, I mean, we go from having one of the biggest cult classics as far as like uh, horror comedy go to being one of the most well-known directors of all time. Yep. And, uh, but you can see it in this movie. Yeah. Oh yeah. Like it's, it's the continuity is tight. The, the storytelling is amazing. And like you were saying, every character has its weird vignette of death. Um, it's, it's extremely entertaining and it's really, really well put together. There's a reason it's why it's super such a well popular. Put together. Yeah. And, yeah. And it's, it's generous to the entire host of characters, which would make it perfect, make Peter Jackson perfect for uh, a movie project that has like a lots and lots of characters because he understands how to like divide the screen time, but also how to stitch the moments together so that sort of like everyone's included, everyone's brought along for the ride. Mm-hmm. I remember watching the Lord of the Rings. Uh, extended edition special features and it was like he had storyboarded the entire movie it's just like a warehouse of storyboards so I, i'm imagining with how immaculate this movie is that he did the same mm-hmm. but but i would like to think that he did not because it is so chaotic that i just want to think that like they were spazzing out i like want the cats are right now you know, they're <laughs> I want to say that that's why it did work so well is that he did storyboard every single moment of this. Yeah. I feel like that was the only way to accomplish getting oh, yeah. all the story together because the death the death scenes are outstanding. One of my personal favorites is the gal with the um the light socket interface. Oh yeah. Yep. Yeah, we were talking about her earlier. Yeah. Oh yeah, like cuz she gets like killed like five times. Yeah, yeah. I mean I th- I feel like all of them do, but yeah, there's this one woman who she she gets the virus, she starts to turn, someone slams her head against a light socket. The um the greaser zombie who's like missing his like chest cavity or whatever <laughs> that becomes the the sentient like gastrointestinal tract that's like <laughs> like haunting Lionel yeah, yeah, throughout yeah. the whole movie. He like slams his hand through her the back of her head in her mouth, which is very shocking. Oh my god, that's right. And then like, she's dead, and then she comes back to life, attacks uh, Big Bopper, whatever his name is, the uncle, <laughs> less. Less he chops her on the head with the cleaver, and then at some point she gets shoved into a light socket That's and her right. head glows. Yes, and she's just like sitting there stuck on <laughs> yeah. this light socket while her face is illuminated and, and mm. being electrocuted. Like, and I actually personally found the sentient intestines to be very cute. With its like mm-hmm. little, the little, like the heart, like, like making faces. Yeah. And yeah. It's little got, kidneys, like, and it farts, you know, and it's like, right. it's looking in the mirror at itself for the first time and it's like, <laughs> like I, I found it to be very cute. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. It's, it's Peter oh. Jackson did the stop motion. Yes. That's right. Or he, he was one of two or three people that did stop mo. So he did like the uh, Sumatran rat monkey. Monkey rat, whatever. Mm-hmm. And then I think he also had to do probably the heart, or was the the heart, or the not the heart, the uh, the internal organs. Was it puppet? It was. It was puppeted. Okay. Yeah. All right. Uh, I see. Yeah. So um, the film special effects were crafted by Bob McCarran and Richard Taylor. So that's a lot of the gore, a lot of the masks, a lot of the makeup. 
uh, Peter Jackson specifically did the stop go, which I think was just the the rat monkey. Yeah. Which the the origin story is that basically these people went to Skull Island and all these rats got off a Skull cargo Island ship, as in King Kong. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Actually, there's a King Kong reference later. So when you go back and you watch Peter Jackson's King Kong, there's a little crate on one of the boats that specifically says Rat Monkey on the side uh, of it. Ah, okay. A little, little homage to himself. All right. Um, it's canon. I didn't realize that Skull Island was from the original because oh, yeah. you know, he remades King Kong and the title is King Kong colon Skull Island. Never forget. The yeah. origin story is that Just, these rats escape the cargo ship and they rape all the monkeys on the island. And then that's how you wait, get what? this. That was the origin story of the rat monkey. Wait, in, 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 in this movie? In, in this movie. In Dead Alive, yeah. In Dead That's Alive. Right. They, yes. yeah, they're, talking about, dead. they're talking about cargo ships that go to Skull Island and all the rats, these like these like evil rats go off and rape the monkeys of the island and create this weird hybrid. I'm sorry, what were you saying? I was going to ask if you, if you watched the original King Kong, like the old. Yes. One. It's pretty violent in its own mm-hmm. way, right? Like there's a lot of uh, sadistic and cynical yeah. deaths particularly of the tribal people and other uh, the crewmen that come along. So I think that a lot of the violence what? that shows up Shocking. Oh yeah. Shocking. in uh, Peter Jackson's King Kong, like where basically everyone who shows up on the boat, almost down to a man gets killed by some creature or whatever, kind of pulls from the original. So Good. in that way, it's kind of truthful Good. that Skull Island is apparently where all the monsters come from. I don't think so. I think it's a fictional island. Let me... But let me or whatever? Sumatra? That's real. Uh, Skull Island is the name most often used to describe a fictional island. No, it's not real. At the very beginning of this, like the New Zealand uh, zoologist or anthropologist or whatever, just how racist he was. It's just like no cage. What does he say? Like no cagey or no money or whatever. It was just like he was speaking down to these people Uh just in... Every every (laughs) single character in And what's a Jamaican doing in New Zealand? (laughs) Every Mond. every so character in this is is the caricature of it is ramped up to eleven with the knobs turned yes. off. Personally, one of my favorite characters is the like Joseph Mengele Nazi vet. Oh, oh yeah. So oh, yeah, yeah. um so you know all all hell is breaking loose with Lionel's mother. She's become reanimated, and she's breaking out of the home and she's running amok all over the city. So he goes to the local vet to get some tranquilizers, and it turns out that it's this like. Um, like hiding ex Nazi mm-hmm. who's running experiments on animals. Um, who you know he's like, I don't. I told you, I do not have my baby ass. Mm-hmm. Like, like freaking out. He's not French. He's German. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that that was personally one of my favorite ones. And then also uh, Karate Priest. Can we talk about? Oh that? Oh my god. Yeah. So I mean, this guy is proceeding over his mom's funeral. And you're like, oh, this is just some guy, some gray haired guy in his late 40s, early 50s. And he comes upon the like greaser, greaser yeah, punks that are like pissing on the main character's mom's grave. Yeah. And he comes to save the main character from these gutter punk guys. And you're like, oh, okay, it's going to be a priest who's like, get off my lawn. But he immediately goes into martial arts, like Bruce Lee style movie. And you're like, oh, this is fun. Like he's just kind of kicking and, and slapping around he's and then all of a sudden on like going going to town. Right. And then all of a sudden it's just like limbs are flying off. Yeah. Uh, to the point where it's like he does a, a leg sweep and the legs come off. Right. Which, like, <laughs> which was it brought joy to my heart. It was like every every death scene that he does with these like weird zombie greasers and their bodies are flying off. 
But I love that part where he's like, I kick ass for the Lord. Mm-hmm. And I think with that, that scene that typifies how this movie exceeds any expectations because you've seen movies where people get their arms ripped off, right? And it's it's cartoonish then, but for him to do a leg sweep and have the legs also come off, it's just like there's just this one-upsmanship and this creativity to it that's like, how can we push it just one step beyond what the audience is going to expect? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because of the level of execution, both in the editing booth and also in the like storyboarding experience, it always does seem to be like a little bit better than anything else you've seen. Mm-hmm. Also, like the the framing, like the the specific way that the shots are composed, like no one no one's having a normal conversation. <laughs> everyone's talking like an inch away from everyone's nose, and like everything is like at these like crazy angles and crazy color schemes. Like the it is it is a Looney Tunes cartoon of a movie, and we all benefit from it. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. So this movie came in under budget. The budget was set for $3 million. It was under budget by $45,000. How is that so even possible? It, he but did I, it. But Peter anyway. Jackson did it. Mm. And he decided to take that extra money and do a two-day shoot in the park where Lionel is taking the baby out, <laughs> the zombie baby out to like go have a day in the park and try to like be cool dad or something like that. Yeah, because there's that that middle sequence where Lionel is basically like trying to hold it all together. And so he's got this like little like troop of zombie people that he's basically trying to like normalize. Yes. Like give them their meds and like feed them and stop them from humping each other. Yes. Which which is unsuccessful because there is zombie zombie sex in this movie, (laughs) which results in a in a horrifying zombie baby which i can't tell if they had a little person actor yes. portray or if it was just forced perspective no it's both so okay. they had like a doll well there's three they're like there's a doll yes there's a baby and then there's a little person depending on the scene yes yeah uh and it's fabulous which we got to add this to our child throwing list yeah, yeah. 26 movies deep Oh, that's this list. I'm so proud of us. Yeah. So the child movie or child throwing film festival coming out in 2022. <laughs> Solid Six presents child throwing. <laughs> child throwing the weekend. So absurd. But yeah, he spent this extra this extra amount of money to just go have uh, what he called his favorite time in the shoot was to just go have Lionel um, throw this baby around and and abuse this puppet in front of like housewives who were just taking their kids out to enjoy the park one day. Um, yeah, Cause he's like beating the baby against the side of a swing set. Yeah. It's like getting tossed up in the air, thrown across, like stepped on. Does he step on its head or something I like think that? So, yeah. yeah. Do you guys have a favorite scene? Oh boy. I think the continued torture of the one girl that got like killed like eight times, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like the, the light bulb, oh, the yeah, light bulb yeah, yeah. in the head. Yeah. And also like the, the the half a head guy sliding on the floor like oh man like he had so much fun like think of all like the ways that the production team had like put that actor's like face like in the ground or in furniture (laughs) or wherever it was so he just like move his eyes a little bit and then like get splattered with blood and kicked again Mm -hmm. oh yeah uh i i think either one of those two yeah yeah what about you brady mine's a little bit more about my surprise with the movie because I didn't know much about this. And when the movie starts going south was when they had the head of the WL, WL and her husband oh, yeah. over it. <laughs> and he's like, oh, oh, I want some pudding. And her, Vera at this point had already been uh, bitten by the rat. And she was already turning. 
So she had some pustule that exploded into this this white custard pudding. Um, and the and WLWL they, lady can see that he's doing this, but there's so much about like keeping up appearances and decorum that I can relate to having grown up in similar environments where people like won't say what's really going on that I just kind of loved this com- combination of horror and guts with yeah. that kind of environment. That was one of the grossest scenes for me. <laughs> I, uh, I remember so clearly, like it had been years since I had seen this movie and I wasn't sure how it was going to hold up. But the one of the few things that I remember are, of course, the scene with the lawnmower where he decides this is the only way he's going to be able to take care of this horde of zombies in his home is to mow everything down. But then the other one was that pustule popping scene where Vera is extremely ill her face, part of her face is peeled off and then she squeezes her arm and it pops and they made sure to color the pus to be that perfect, like pinkish peachy color mm-hmm. that pus can be. And I, and it drops right into that dude's custard and he takes these big like soup spoonfuls into his gullet mm-hmm. to eat this. And I, I was like, Oh God, this is just the beginning. And it's so typical of like suburban people like that where it's like the dude's oblivious the wife isn't but she doesn't want to say anything oh god forbid yeah yeah and then the vera on the other side before they show up he uh lionel's like mom you should rest and she's like no i can't because it's the wlwl and and i like, just like found she, that so funny well she obviously like her tongue is going numb so she's like, <laughs> it's a yeah my like my other favorite one-liner is um paquita has her dog fernando mm-hmm. and Lionel's mom eats the dog and she goes she's like your mother ate my dog <laughs> it's just like it's the best part we but I, think- lo- I can't even do this we've got to be winners this time we win we've got a good I think my favorite scene is when we see Vera for the first time when she's totally transformed. But I also do really love that part when they've been accidentally given like the animal stimulant. And so they come like flying out of the ground with all the fireworks and strobe lights. <laughs> like I think that that's brilliant. There's yeah. so, there's so many times where I, I'm, I'm truly cracking up at what's happening. I mean, they mix the comedy and the horror so well. And I think that it also hinges on the casts. Um, so the actor who plays Lino, Lionel, uh, Lino Messi, the famous Argentinian football player. But no, Who Lionel, are you? He's <laughs> the biggest football player of all time. Footballer. Argentine. Excuse me. Um, <laughs> Argentine. Argentine. Timothy Baum, he has this weird, like Jared Leto, Tim Roth look to him. Ah. Yes. It's always surprised that yes. I don't think this movie would work as well if you didn't have his face. He also has a very uh, Buster Keaton style yes. angle of just like flopping around mm-hmm. and running around. He's an extremely kinetic performer. Mm-hmm. And I think that the whole the screenplay, the whole movie asks so much of him as a performer physically that I think that he has to be able to do like really good physical comedy. He he carries it very well. 
And that was one of the references too, is when he takes the baby on the walk that Allison described, there was that the piano that was like a... Um, Baby's you know, Day Out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that was like a Buster Keaton or a Harold uh, Lloyd or Charlie Chaplin throwback. There you go. Excellent. So this is obviously, it's not just a horror film. This is a great comedy. Oh yeah. Why do you guys think that comedy and horror go together so often? Because this certainly isn't the first movie where... No, I mean, I think that it... You know, both are making uh, absurd premises, like in, like trying to exist in like the real world. You know, like one of our favorite movies, Frankenhooker, like like does exactly that, where you have like the you have the real world creeping in, but it's like trying to share space with like a really absurd premise. So I think that's the reason why comedy and horror coexist so easily because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. you're asking a lot already. It's true. I think they're often trying to elicit the most extreme response, right? So whether you're laughing or you're crying, I mean, it is it is like this emotional release, whereas a lot of times dramas can be more inward facing and kind of brooding and introspective. I think these are hyperbolic typically. And so smashing them together, it's like headshots and video games. I don't know. It's like, it's just absurd. It's just, you can't help but laugh. 360 I, well, no scope. I mean, <laughs> exactly. I mean, like there were, there were moments in Cannibal Holocaust where I started laughing. Mm-hmm. Like there's death scenes in there that are so absolutely over the top and absurd that it's just like, I'm like, what? Because if you didn't laugh, you would have been sobbing alone into your bowl of spaghetti. I I did. I (laughs) ate. Oh, the audience didn't know that I had made, I had made, um, um, emotional support pasta that day. And yeah, I came home. I had a really hard day at work and I, I made a huge helping of emotional support pasta. And I was like, let's watch cannibal Holocaust. All the sounds that were happening in the movie, I was physically making with my mouth. That's why you left. Cause if you didn't have that spaghetti, you would have cried. <laughs> At one point, like I did. I'm just trying to hide the fact that I cried. You- At one point, we were watching uh, Dead Alive, and and you know, like this is like mid like splatter, like like guts and like pus and all this stuff are everywhere. And Allison's like, "Don't we have dessert?" <laughs> and, like, and I and I said, "Like I don't have an appetite right now." <laughs> really, it affected you. I couldn't like specifically the custard scene. Uh-huh. The custard like, scene. It's, it's like hard to. And like the ear and like, whoa, oh, whoa. Yeah. Like it just got to like once it gets like more to like the comedy angle with like the lawnmower and like all the stuff at the party, it's like I can dissociate and compartmentalize enough to where I can enjoy an ice cream sandwich, mm. but not <laughs> not during the custard sequence. I, I'm just worried you're anti-custard. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Maybe I'm custard neutral. It's a free country. I'm you're, a custardarian. Yeah. <laughs> You're okay with seeing red liquids, but not white liquid, like white liquids. I just fucked that up. You can say it again. We can edit everything. I just think you're. (laughs) Yes, Brady. You like red, not white. I think this country is hanging on by a thin pink line of both pus and custard. Oh my God. (laughs) Is what defines this great nation. I'm not saying this to like uh, assuage Allison's pasta brain, but Uh like when I thought or when I saw the, the pink. I did think about like marinara and Alfredo sauce ah. getting mixed together. Oh, it's a very oh, specific... oh, sure, sure. Yeah, like a vodka yeah. sauce. Yes, thank mm-hmm. you. Yeah. Big fan. Absolutely. <laughs> I think if I was eating something cold, it would... Well, no, I was. I was like eating yogurt? ice cream. I was eating ice cream. I don't know why. I just am not... I look at a lot of strange stuff. I don't know. I just wasn't moved by it. Wait, that was the same day that you watched Cannibal Holocaust. So you had already been through the ringer. Uh, no, it was the day after. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I had to watch Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, in betwixt to mm. um, palate mm. cleanser. Yeah. So tomorrow, actually, no, tomorrow because I've got to double up on movies. Um, 
You don't have to do anything. Yeah, I was gonna say this. <laughs> like there's I, there's no like movie police that's gonna but okay. There's I know, Dirk. But like, never mind. I try I try this every single year and I I'm can never I can never finish it. So this I'm trying. I'm hopefully I can do thirty one for thirty one. Is there there because like, there's like Hooptober. Is there like a set format for like the thirty for thirty? Like the like yeah, watch can, this kind of you know like where they break down like the types of movies. There can be. Day, I mean, there was a week. Well, there was a list last year. There's a million. Nah, yeah, there's there's that's part of the fun is you make lists for other people to watch that you don't actually do. Yeah. So you seem like you actually know what you're talking about. I like, I'm going to admit it. I've never been able to finish uh 31 for 31 because my brain yeah, gets you, weird. Yeah. It gets, yeah. yeah you're so, not supposed to. Yeah. So I, well, so now I've got, I have a whole list of lighthearted horror films I'm going to watch. You seem really stressed out. <laughs> I am stressed out. Are you kidding me? It's Are just, you kidding? I, am, no, I mean, about this, about this list. I mean, I know you're, there's other reasons to be stressed. I'm also stressed out about the list. How am I supposed to fit in so many movies in my work week? I have to do it. I have to do it. Well, if you do it, I have to do it because I can't be. I can't believe you're late. not doing it, Brady. I, is it not the fucking fourth or the fifth? What day is it? Today is the fourth. I'm too busy watching miniseries, and this is partially why I don't watch miniseries, is that it's it sucks up all your time, and then you're like, hey, what'd you watch this week? It's like a 12-hour miniseries, and that's it. Mm. And you feel accomplished, because mm. like that's not normal behavior, but there's like all sorts of insane people who are like, what'd you do this weekend? It's like, I spent my entire weekend watching a miniseries, versus... What I usually like to do is I watch two movies and then I do and then I do and then I blame it on Midnight Mass. Do you don't, ever, I don't recommend it. Do you ever think about like how productive our grandparents were versus like... They had to survive. I know. But, but also like, things were so much cheaper back then. Well, but also it's like my dad, well, like even like my dad, like my dad would work like 16 hour days and then like go to the market and come back and have a barbecue and be like, oh, I forgot salt and go back to the market. <laughs> And I would have been like, we will find a way to get that. Like, there's a neighbor. We can ask for it, like a teaspoon. But like, and he's like, and he'd come back. He's like, oh, we need an extra bottle of wine. And then he would go back to the market. Like, I think about how many That's trips. your dad? Yeah, my dad. Are you sure he's not doing something? Yeah, I he's don't got know. drugs. I don't drugs. know. But like, my dad would go to the market like six times in a day. And I think about, and then he would still like, like revamp a ham radio and then go back to a 16 hour workday. And I just don't, thinking about it. Is Thinking your, about it. Was your dad a happy man? I don't know. All right. Well, he seems pretty content now. Well, I don't know about back then. <laughs> I think that he's got like undiagnosed anxiety and he won't admit it. So that was like his running around was like, really, it, this is too much. I'm sorry. Dude, no, I get, I, <laughs> I get it. I personally get it. Having to always be on the move. Yeah. So here's, here's a question for both of you. Cause okay. like this movie is like a, is it's an amazing movie. Yes. But I feel like the cast kind of went nowhere. Did did anyone mm. from this cast actually oh. get oh, out of like... you mean like they had a future career? Yeah. Like what else did they do? Because like Paquita and uh, 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 Rockadoodle, Uncle whatever. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Less. Uncle Less. Well, so the priest, Stuart uh, Devaney, was in Frighteners. So, which is also a Peter Jackson film. Um, ah. And he was in Meet the Feebles. So he's a regular Peter Jackson player. He's a, he's a Peter Jackson person. Elizabeth Moody looked, she played Vera. She looked familiar to yeah, me. Yeah, she did for me as well. Heavenly Creatures, another Peter Jackson tape. She was in Lord of the Rings. Huh. So in an extended edition of Lord of the Rings. So I don't know. She oh, no. played her Ian McKellen playing. <laughs> Stop <Kendall. it. laughs> 
That's brutal. Oh boy. She, I mean, it looks like she was. It's just, I'm, I'm thinking it's probably not stuff that we had access to. She was a ring wraith. What? Nothing. What? Nothing. What is that? A ring wraith? Oh, <laughs> like the big, oh, the, that's right. Oh my God. That's, baby. wow. I'm glad we recorded that. It's going to be our ringtone now. <laughs> Sorry. Now, you know, I terrorize my wife. <laughs> She's be doing her own thing. I, I can't stand people that think that like scaring folks is like a part of a joke is like a great idea. Yeah, I, I don't do that to I, my wife. <laughs> That's smart. It's a wise man. Yeah. No, I don't know. But I, I, I'm also not sure if it's just because they're, um, they're actors from New Zealand. So I don't know. Because I, I feel like the U.S. isn't excellent at watching foreign films, notoriously. Yeah. So. Agreed. We own all the money, so who gives a shit? <laughs> it's our world. <laughs> You're just living in it. That's terrible. Don't listen to me. Speaking of which, my dog coin is up. Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> the dog chain. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Elon. So, so you're saying that you have more money than have, anybody in New Zealand. I, I have more fake money <laughs> because there he is. There an he astronaut is. millionaire. <laughs> now, you, you know why New Zealand doesn't have any actors that came over here is because they're just under perpetual lockdown just saying so they just their career stopped at 2019 yeah because they predicted covid no they were locked down before covid oh i see yeah i see they can't get off the now, timothy balm had a career but it stopped in like 2013 i don't know so it's okay. but it's like right. again i don't it's nothing i recognize not names that i recognize all right it's pretty good so, I don't know. they work mm. just uh yeah so for as much as we like this movie, there's one thing that we haven't talked about that I'm just really just st- stuck in under my craw, whatever that phrase is. Stuck in your craw? <laughs> really grinds my it Really gears. grinds your gears? Burns your biscuit? Peter Jackson has spent like 15 to 20 years of his life not only making all of the Tolkien movies, but also making all of the special features behind the movies. So there's these lavish box sets that have probably... I've got a couple of the versions. I mean, they've mm-hmm. been on every single format ever. But the special features, literally like 15 hours worth of special features where it's like, hey, this is, I took my dog on these walks on the set and I did these little clay figures and, you know, I played these board games with my, the cast members. And I mean, it's, it's very obscure. Meanwhile, this movie's out of print. And supposedly in an interview a couple of years ago, he said that the rights went back to the filmmakers after 20 years, which I, I was don't know wondering, if that's... I, I was know. wondering about that because I, I used to used to be able to rent this and it was yeah. easy to find. Yeah, I remember watching this like back in like high school when we yeah. were all obsessed with like Evil Dead. Yeah, and yeah. And that's like how we got to this movie. Yeah, exactly. so he was saying that the rights finally got back to him, but then he was too busy making the fucking Hobbit movies to finish the restoration. So he's like, I want to give this movie the treatment that it deserves. I just don't have time because of Tolkien. I'm just like, fuck you, Tolkien. God damn it. We have enough of their shit. I don't, yes. I don't need more. To- we don't need more Lord of the Rings. We don't need more Lord of the Rings. If there's already 15 hours. We don't of need Bol- more Marvel. No. no. Yes. And there's a new Lord of the Rings Amazon How show dare coming you up. Compare Marvel and Tolkien. Well, Amazon's doing a new Lord of the Rings show coming out in a couple uh, of listen, months. Listen, I just, let's, <sighs> let's cool our jets. It's got soul. <laughs> It's so, no, but I was freaking out because so uh, some friends of ours um, were doing a movie night for Halloween or something. I don't remember what it was, but uh, Josh and I were over there and I kept saying, oh, my God, you guys want a great movie. Do Dead Alive. And no one could find Dead Alive. And it blew my mind. Oh, that's right. You couldn't find it yeah, anywhere. It wasn't and, streaming. It was on any of the services. Yeah, but like we had to 
like find a physical copy. And, and, and no, if Movie Madness was out, well, you're SOL. Well, and I didn't think Movie Madness, I don't, I don't remember what it was. We just couldn't find it anywhere. And then I was thinking, well, consent. I didn't realize it was out of print mm-hmm. and I didn't know why. So I, I just, I paid like almost $50 to get a DVD nice. because the Blu-ray was like 150 or something like that. So yeah, I, Mm. But I was like, I was like, what? Like, I'm about to pay a lot of money for this thing, which is partially the reason why I chose it because we have to watch it because I bought it. Mm-hmm. We need to become like <laughs> guerrilla film screeners. We need to like get a projector and like project it onto the side of a building downtown. We've yeah, talked about this. Yeah, yeah, Do you yeah. remember? I think we have talked about this. We talked about a pirate cinema. <laughs> and you oh, with a bar. A pirate cinema with a bar. Yes. yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. All right. Coming soon. Uh, we're, yeah. about, we're about to be in the rainy season anyway. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Project it on a sheet inside. <laughs> no, we'll just t- we'll just take it to like where the people are drinking outside and just project it in front of them. Yeah. Have How you, dare you assume we do it on a sheet? Scrim. Scrim. Thank you. Thank you. Thank Sorry, you. guys. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, going back a little bit, Paquita is still working. Uh, okay. Yeah. Uh, as as soon as um, it uh, looks like twenty twenty. So Diana Penalvar mm-hmm. is still working. She's been in quite a few things, but a lot of it is a uh, Latin American or um, Spanish. Okay. Oh, so she's in soap operas or something. No, they look like little, <laughs> like, like sweet little nineties rom-coms, but like the Spanish version. Mm. Ah. Yeah. <laughs> I was just thinking like, maybe like she fell in love with a dwarf or perhaps an elf. <laughs> maybe even like, you know, a dashing like old witch king. Do you have something? Do you have names you want to drop? No. <laughs> Not really. She's just slowly floating across the earth on one of those tree people. Just on the shoulder. <laughs> the ints. Is that what they're called? The ints, yeah. Well, I just want... The still tree work- masters. She is still working. She's still getting her jobs done. So, shit. We have anything else we want to add? There's there's actually like quite a bit to talk about in terms of like the, like the way like the practical effects were pulled off and all that kind of stuff. But I think it detracts from the, the enjoyment of the movie to like really kind of noodle out everything. The practical effects are exceptional. What I will say this, or what I'll, what I'll add to that, as it is in 1992, we are starting to see the twilight of practical effects and sort of like zombie gore movies being done in this way. Obviously, there was plenty of stuff to be done in the 90s, but the door was starting to close. Mm. So it is kind of fun and cool for me to see not just like the the editing tricks, the blocking and the way that it was like composed on screen, but also like the amount of talent that went into creating all the creatures in the mm-hmm, lore. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is, this is someone who, I mean, Peter Jackson, obviously based on his first few films, I mean, he has an eye, he's extremely talented and I, we don't, practical effects are outstanding. I don't think we give the DP and the director enough credit for the camera tricks that go into mm-hmm. also creating the storyline and how important that is. Plus the editing recently, we had an episode on inner space. There's that whole scene where Robert Picardo is passed out in the bathtub, in the bathtub yeah. and then does that whole run around. Mm-hmm. And that was a camera trick that, uh, Joe Dante used and it was excellent. And so, and I feel like he is kind of like this, um, this s- iron, safe of like old school Hollywood mm. and how you perform stuff like that. And I, th- I think it really, really also shows up in brain dead with um, it's all practical. I, I think the only time 
you see a string is when um, Uncle Les or whatever, Uncle Les is walking out and he's kind his spine has been ripped out of his body, but ah. it's partially in there. So you see the string holding the puppet up <laughs> All right. as, as the puppeteer is also moving the mouth. But it's so cool. And so shocking. And, exactly. that it, 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 And so creative. And it made me immediately, again, think of um, Rabotin and The Thing because The Thing could be anything. And they they really, really use that in their imagination with creating all the death scenes and all the ways that reanimation could pop up in Brain Dead. So super creative, super fun. And also just like kudos to the fact that they had obviously excellent artists on this, including, you know, like, I don't know whom the editor is, but like Bob McCarran and Richard Taylor for creating this mayhem. I mean, it was it was outstanding. Yeah. The set designer also did a really good job, right? Because it, it, how much of it was filmed on location versus a set, I don't know, because they do a really good job of playing with space. So like that t- the tight confines of the kitchen versus then the lobby and kind of it running back and forth and him swinging from the roof and kind of being able to swing from the mezzanine back and forth. I felt like they also um, used every square inch of the location mm-hmm. or at least gave me that perception. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Who was the cinematographer? Cinematographer's name was Murray Maline. I forgot that we, we need Milne. to start. We need to start really in, incorporating the cinematographers in our conversation because they deserve they so much deserve credit. Credit. Yes, I'm happy to. Yeah, well, I, I always I, forget to put them in the list of every person that we list that uh, hasn't gone on to anything. I'm just imagining like Peter Jackson getting on an Elvish boat. And saying goodbye to everybody in <laughs> as he leaves New Zealand. Thank like, you. Yeah, going to the eternal uh-huh. Elvish yeah. land. Which name of I can't think of right now, but <laughs> thank you for I, embarrassing me, Brady. I just keep baiting. I keep trying. I'm just sorry. I'm glad you know what I'm doing. I just yeah. uh-huh. baiting Josh. Gimli, son of a boy. <laughs> the reveal of his dad sleeping with somebody and getting drowned by the mom. Yeah. Was that relevant? Was that needed? I think so. I think it, there's this whole weird, like, overstepping of his, Vera's presence in Lionel's life. Mm. And the whole basis for why he can't truly be with Paquita because he already has a woman in his life. Yeah. And yeah. that's his mom. Yeah, yeah. So there's that, that, that back and forth where it's like, at first you think that Lionel is just like a weak-willed man, that he's just kind of like, you know, Gollum to his mother, uh, like serving her, working for her. But then you find out later on in the movie that, no, no, there's like this whole like weird, like maternal like possession issue where she refuses to kind of like let him go. Well, she also blamed him for his father's drowning. That's true. So I think I have issue with... Wait a minute. Does that mean that Lionel's the love child of the two and that she's, he's not... No, I just, I just think that Vera used... In order to control Lionel, oh, she gave she him like, used, like a She used guilt. the story that yeah. basically Lionel got swept out by a wave or, or was drowning, and then his father went to rescue him. And if Lionel had been more responsible, his father would still be around. Therefore, you are forever in debt exactly. to the memory yeah. of your father. Exactly. Yep. And also to me, because now I'm a lonely woman and I have no man, and I need you to take care of me. Yeah. So that makes sense. So the discovery that Lionel's dad has been in like a chest in the attic forever. <laughs> like, <laughs> to your point, could have been performed more elegantly, maybe. Yeah. But I do think it adds. 
Yeah, I don't. I don't. Yeah, I don't think it takes away. Because I think maybe I just was like bummed the movie was ending, and so the fact that that was like <laughs> the epilogue, I was like, no, wait, what about the splatter? So maybe they just like r- roll credits as the splatter just keeps going. Or yeah. maybe Peter Jackson just really had it in his head that like the the final boss battle was going to be the mom figure, like like reinserting him into like her huge monster womb. Yeah, yeah, and like he just wanted a way to make the. The plot work for that as like a visual gag. Well, I also, but it, but it creates, it helps, it helps the audience create a division and to back Lionel why he suddenly, I mean, he has gone above and beyond to take care of the zombie mom for mm-hmm. way too long. Um, and then neglect like a beautiful woman who's trying to start a life with him. Uh. And so if he's got this, if he suddenly remembers this betrayal of this, like this, this, you know, locked away memory of him witnessing his mom drown his father, then he can at least break away and be like, you've lied to me. Right. You don't care about me. And then he can really, you know, cut his way out of his mother's <laughs> womb <laughs> using a star. Yeah. Magic dagger. I don't know. I was, I was with him from the moment I saw him in his wool vest. Yeah. It's nice, nice dapper. He, young uh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> So Timothy Baum really knocked the performance out of the park. He did. Like he, yeah. he was perfect for Lionel. Yeah. He, he really, he like, uh, the unlikely romantic lead, the creepy dude with like bottles of turpentine or no, the, <laughs> yeah. uh, tranquilizer. tranquilizer. And then mm-hmm. like back again into like the sort of like heroic moments where he's going to tie a rope around his shoulder to drag a lawnmower through a crowd of people. Oh God, the lawnmower. Yeah, he, he did have great plasticity as a as a leading character to go through like all kinds of ups and downs. So credit to him. And again, the whole physical comedy aspect. Did you yeah. have any bummer moments, Josh? Bummer moments? Yeah. I mean, like the whole custard thing was like a big bummer <laughs> for me. Like, you know, like I am a little more of a, uh, I'm a little more sensitive than the two of you when it comes to some things. So like the custard and the, like the eating the ear, I was just like, <laughs> like I just, head. I just needed to like, you know, com- like dissociate like really hard for a few seconds. Oh my God. And then like return to reality. <laughs> He's got tunnel vision. Yeah. You almost fainted. Yeah. And you know what? Actually taking the conversation way, way back to Eli Roth. Yeah. It makes me wonder would these director guys who do so much of like the gore stuff and like the torture and all that kind of stuff, would they have a different relationship with essentially pain in film if they had like themselves experienced some kind of disfiguring injury? Like if they had like got like a, like a finger chopped off or, you know, like lost a foot in a industrial accident like most of these guys are fully intact and so the idea of uh, torture and mutilation is relatively academic and abstract and i just wonder it's like would it be different if maybe they had ever been you know kissed by death oh my god (laughs) (laughs) it could be the opposite though you could argue because like think about like the spiritual equivalent where like the person who made the best spiritual movies was Ingmar Bergman, who basically was like, God is dead. So how do I figure this out? Oh, okay. Mm, good point. Oh, interesting. Good point. But I mean, that said, you would see more directors in wheelchairs or arm I, braces. I did. I did. I did read a quote that apparently um, uh, Dead Alive was the only thing that apparently satiated Eli Roth's need for blood. 
that okay. like his his bloodlust is so high that this was the only movie that ever actually like truly satisfied him as far as uh, gore goes. I think uh, Japan would be really disappointed to hear him say that. <laughs> <laughs> he seems to be. Uh, he seems to favor the Italian directors. Ah, the Italian That's cinema. That, yeah. yeah. So just to bring it back around, were there any moments in, in Dead Alive or, or Brain Dead that uh, that bummed you out specifically with Peter Jackson or any of it? Uh, I don't think there was. Yeah. There's no moment that's lost. There there doesn't seem to be a moment that's frivolous. Um, it's succinct. It's fast moving and it's it's stitched together and edited very, very well. So I, I, I for me, no, there's not a there's not a dull moment. I just can't get over the fact that Peter Jackson's a pervert and you just helped me realize that. Yeah. Right? What's perverted in this movie? Uh, I'll bite. What's going on here? All the blood and guts. Oh, I oh. thought you meant like sexually. Yeah. Sexually. <laughs> Can but you I, only be a pervert if it's sex? That's how my interpretation. That's a, yeah, that's more of a classical interpretation. Well, which is what I was wondering. It's like when I was describing this movie as gratuitous. Like, does that make sense? Or if, when I was describing uh, cannibal, yeah. cannibal Holocaust yeah, as gratuitous. Gratuitous, yeah. It just means, you know, it's a lot. It's, yeah. Perverse, I, I'm imagining like, like unbridled disrespect towards titties. Although I will say that there's something strangely perverse about the entire movie Greasy Strangler, even in oh, outside well, of, yeah. outside yeah, of yeah, the yeah, sexual yeah. content. There's like some, there is like the, the idea of perversion. Yes. Like misuse, basically. I, I have a new friend in my Krav Maga and kickback boxing uh, course. And I thought that they were probably in their mid twenties. They are extremely confident, very mm-hmm. mature, very like, um, very self-assured. And they recently told me, uh, that their birthday was coming up and I was like, Oh my gosh, how are you? And they said, Oh, I'm going to be 17. And I was like, I was like, Oh, <laughs> what? Uh, what? Like it like blew my mind. So I have a 17 year old friend, which like, they're awesome. I love them to death. I had reposted something SpectraVision had put on about the Greasy Strangler. Uh, someone gave it like a half star review saying like these, this like weird crazed, it's like sex monster with this weird penis, blah, blah, blah. Um, uh, these images may have scarred me for life. I, it was something like that. But I was like, I was like, this is it. Like, this is the review that is talking about one of my favorite movies of all time. And they follow me on Instagram. So I posted, I posted that review and they, they messaged me and they're like, oh my gosh, what movie is this? I have to see this. And I was like, I was like, I was having like, I had like a, I had like a meltdown. I had, I had like a meltdown. I was like, I was like, oh my God, oh my God, I can't, I can't, um, I like almost didn't tell them what it is. And I was like, I was like, listen, listen up, listen up, squirt. Listen, it's, it's called the greasy strangler, but my God. You never heard this from me. You ne- and if anybody ever found out that you watched this, and she's like, they were like, I want to show this to my friends. I was like, please no. Like, if you do, no, no. you never got it from me. Okay, you one hundred percent. You never- have your entire life in front yeah, of you. I was like, and I was like, I was like, don't ever let anybody know where you got this. You're from. You're so full of potential. Yeah. <laughs> you don't have to go down my road. So like, I'm have I've been having like a mini panic attack ever since. Like, like they're what? Because you're worried that you're grooming teenage people to to watch the crazy children. Teenage people. I was like, like even in comparison to like John Waters, teenage this humans. movie, like, yeah. So I was, I was like, oh god, oh god, oh god. Anyway, I think you're okay. I hope it's so. It's rated but, R. <laughs> barely. 
Teenagers can get in with Guardians to the theater. Oh, I mean, you're is okay. it NC-17? They're 17. Rated R for... <laughs> no, wait. Can't, I was trying to make a joke there. Never mind. Rated R for being a rock hard? I don't know. <laughs> there it is. You did it. I, I just can't, I can't... I can't live in a... I can't... I cannot live in a world where Allison is grooming teenage kids. I'm not grooming. I'm not grooming. I just, I just your, I your brain is thinking that. I well, I freaked out. I was like, I was like, oh my god! <laughs> I have to watch what I say. Uh, so and then like, of course, like that. Like two days later, I'm posting like, oh, like 31 of 31, number one, Cannibal Holocaust. And I was like, I was like, oh god. <laughs> Like I can't. What's gonna happen? I can't have them follow me anymore. Well, joking aside, welcome to middle age where you have to worry about being impressionable towards younger people. Oh my god, I would like. I was like, this is the worst. <laughs> if feeling only that ever. was the case. This is the worst feeling ever. I don't know. Anyway, uh, that's such a great story. Are we ready for it? <laughs> yes. Okay. Uh, Peter Jackson may be pulling from a few of his directorial contemporaries, but he's stopping well ahead of the zombie horde as he breaks loose a dam of throbbing viscera. Brain Dead or Dead Alive is a barnstorming masterclass and seemingly endless parade of gore gags in physical horror comedy. It is so tight. It is so perfect. It is so much fun. I'm at a perfect 10. There will never be a better gore-based comedy horror movie than Dead Alive. Yeah! I did it. Nice. Earlier, I brought up the fact that Cannibal Holocaust uh, elevates or is better than its title seems, right? And Brain Dead slash Evil, Evil Dead. I've been doing it all day. So, yeah, this is a movie that really is much better than the title describes, right? And like, how would you, how would you actually name this movie in a way that matches what's in it, right? Like Frankenhooker, you're like, okay, that sounds like a porno, but it's not at all what it is. Same thing here. About two or three minutes into this movie, it's very clear that it's doing something different, but we haven't talked about this much, but there's this kind of send up of every single character in the town, pre-blood, pre-guts, that like everyone is lampooned. I was immediately hooked. So for it to go from that into this just total descent into chaos, it surprised me all along the way. I've never seen a movie with more inventive gore than this. And I'll have to think about whether there is one. And I want to go find it. But until then, this is 10. Woo! Boom. This is this is a really it's a it's a well-loved cult film for a reason. Uh the imagination that goes into this, the storytelling, the editing, the cinematography, everything is perfectly matched for the next thing. There, It's it's almost like star-crossed lovers met each other and wrote a story, made a storyboard, created this film, and it is 
it's it's an absolute joy to sit down and watch every single time. I I cringe, especially that first scene where the pustule pops from her arm into the pudding. The pudding scene is grossly famous. Peter Jackson is set up to become this outstanding director, which he obviously is. But the teamwork that went into creating this, the visuals, the practical effects, the puppetry, the stop-go, the cinematography, all of it goes into creating a really, really impressive, important gem of a movie. And I have to agree with you guys, I really, really can't think of an equivalent when it comes to practical gore and practical effects that go this far. I mean, monster-wise, the thing, but the the goo and the blood and the guts and the wetness and the and the drippies like and the the death scenes and the bravado of engaging yeah. this kind of gore it's is outstanding the joie de vivre yes yeah so um i've always had a deep love for this movie and i also have to give it a 10 yeah yeah so with that it's nice that we've had is this this first perfect score we've had in a while huh uh, is this since last Halloween? Since Rainmaker. Yeah. Makes sense. Oh, good Feels for, right. Good for us. Maybe we should have ended with this one. I don't know. Ended what? Our, the podcast? The, 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 spook, <laughs> the spooktacular series. Yeah. The podcast is over. <laughs> We're done. Going we back can't, to period romance. We can't, we can't get past this. Um, no, we can't. Brady, what are we doing next week? Well, we all know that when we all give perfect tens to things, I like to do oh, not God. the perfect ten. Brady comes in with a perfect one. Uh, no, I mean, I think that this could be in the Gone with the Pope kind of territory. So we're going to be watching probably guest availability pending. Otherwise, I want to switch it up because this one, I don't, um, we need, we need an expert. We need a shot on video expert to guide us through. We we need a jungle guide. (laughs) We need someone with a cinematic machete to lead the way. Oh, Absolutely. So this is going to be Boarding House from 19... Fuck. Boring House or Boarding House? Boarding House. One second. <laughs> oh. Boarding Starring House. Starring Carrot Top. <laughs> Close. Uh, no. So this is from 1982. And this is a vanity project by John Wintergate with yes. two N's. John Linden. Um, and his wife simply named Colossu. Oh. John and Colossu were... <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm just thinking of like the Colossu as a name for another human (laughs) and not like a nebulous supervillain. Yeah. So they were in the uh, late 70s in a psych rock folk band and then ended up creating a new age center. (laughs) Yeah. The Jesus movement. Thank you. All right. For ruining everything. Beyond the Black Rainbow. Here we go. It's got a smidge of Amityville horror. But this is really like Playmate video territory. Great. So imagine like coked out 80s precursor to Tommy Wiseau's The Room oh. and or the Christ-like figure of Neil, uh, Neil Breen. Wow. We, we... <laughs> Great. Wow. So, so ready for this. Guest, guest schedule pending. Okay. So no, no pressure guest. You know who you are. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Okay. Okay. We need... To baptize you in the waters and fires of shot on video. I mean, this might not be the best entry, but it's the first entry. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Okay, well, join us next week for Boarding House, which Mm. is not the name of a porno. No. Okay. Ish. 
Uh, oh gosh. Yeah. Oh, this dear. guy looks like a knockoff sting. <laughs> and he, I was looking at a picture of him and it's like Redger Hauer and I was like, no. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, oh boy. Okay. Well, thanks for tuning in, you guys. Uh, again, we really, really appreciate you listening in. So you can find us at uh, solid6.net. Go ahead and just, um, you know, contact us through all the means available with our information on that site. Mm. Otherwise, uh, we do respond with our Instagram, which is at solid6.net. Um, if you've seen a movie where someone throws a kid through the air, please let us know. This is really important. Um, it's more, actually kind of become important. Yeah, more more than more than like the man on fire list we also yeah. have going, which is every movie ever created. But the the child throwing list is that's that's our baby, near and dear to our hearts. That is our yeah. baby. When it's not baby. flying through the we're, air, we're not going to be throwing that child out anytime not, soon. Not no, not if I have anything to say about yeah. it. So, and again, thank you for tuning in, and we will see you next week. Adios, muchachos. Bye. See you later, Abigail. I'm going to eat some samosas. Samosas.